Hello and welcome to last week in localization. My name is Sarah Hickney and I'm your host. Uh, in the show, we discuss the latest in localization, uh, the latest research, the latest events or news, whatever uh, it was most relevant last week in this fascinating industry. And today I have one of my wonderful colleagues with me, Belen. Hello, Sarah. Thank you for having me today. I'm super excited to be talking to you. I'm so happy that you're here. Um, just a brief background. We both work for NIMSI Insights. And if you have never heard of NIMSI, we are a market research and consulting company uh, predominantly focused on the language service industry and all of its facets. We do uh, consulting, growth advisory, M&A consulting. Um, we publish the latest research about all the sides of the industry, from the linguist to the buyer to the provider in all the different corners of this wonderful industry. So, and today, uh, Belen, what are we talking about today? Okay, so we are going to talk about user-generated content in the gaming industry and, you know, how to deal with that from a localization perspective. And yeah, and we will talk about the gaming industry in general, what's new and how that will have an impact in our industry as well. Fantastic, because, um, well, first of all, you just published a wonderful piece of research about this that people can access on our website. Um, if you go to nimsy.com and to research, um, just under all research, it'll be the very last, uh, the very first <laughs> post, I want to say, um, called User-Generated Content for Player Support in the Gaming Industry. And I'm really excited about this, uh, predominantly because I know absolutely nothing <laughs> about it this part of the industry. Um, so for those who don't know it, Belen is our absolute expert for anything to do with media localization and also game localization. And I've dipped my toe a little bit into the media localization side, but I haven't had a lot of contact with the gaming side at all. Um, but it sounds fascinating. And so I'm super excited to learn from you today. Thank you, Sarah. Yes, I, I can start by talking a little bit about this report that we published last week, why we did it and and what, what we found out, right? So we did this report for one of our clients, Language.io. They wanted to understand uh, what was the, the <clears throat> size of the market for, for user-generated content in the gaming industry because they offer a solution that uh, provides automatic localization specifically aimed for the players, uh, not player, but customer support in general, right? Um, which is usually a challenge in all industries because, you know, having a customer support agents in all languages 24 hours uh, a day, seven days a week is quite difficult, right? So one of the ways to scale uh, in a more cost-efficient way and also to ensure that your clients always will have a solution is to use machine translation. And that's uh, what this company is doing. And there are other companies doing that as well. The challenge in the gaming industry is even um, harder because, you know, the way that gamers communicate with each other and the terminology that they use and the, terminolo the terminology that it's used in the games is quite, you know, unique, right? Mm -hmm. So if you run, a, you know, I don't know, any machine translation engine like Google Translate and try to, to translate a conversation between two gamers, it would probably 
uh, end up making no sense. Because sometimes I, even in Spanish, I, I try to talk to gamers or read what they are talking about in forums and I don't even understand what they are saying. It's hyper-specialized, right? So it's, for example, using slang uh, all the time because it's a super informal register, right? It's mm -hmm. not like you are in the customer support for a bank, bank yeah. system or you know insurance uh, company or something like that right so usually the the context is quite informal that's one thing so lots of slang another thing lots of internet jargon right all the acronyms abbreviations internet jargon and so on and so forth then uh, meme references right all the funny memes on the internet they are recurrently used in the gaming jargon, I would say, or slang as well. Um, then, specifically in Spanish, I don't know if, if it's the same in other languages. I would like to know if someone is looking at, uh, at this show and they want to share. But in Spanish, for example, there's a big influence on, on the way that the gamers talk from English, right? Mm -hmm. So there are some terms such as, for example, farm, right? Farm means that you go to a place in, in, the, in the game and you just stay there killing little monsters so that you can level up, for example, mm -hmm. right? So in Spanish, gamers say farmear. So we took the verb farm and mm -hmm. we just, you know, turn it into, into a Spanish <laughs> infinitive. Yeah. And that happens with many other terms, for example. If, if you are a tank, which is usually... Uh, in, in some of games, uh, specifically online games, if you're going to, in, into a ride and you, you want to kill this big monster, you need a tank. A tank is a person, uh, not a person, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there's a person behind the, the screen, but it's a character that goes there and takes all the damage because they are super strong, so they can tank. That's, that's the term they use. And in Spanish, they say tanquear. So mm -hmm. there's lots of English influence and you know, what a mess that can be also in a machine translation engine if, if this is not properly, you know, identified that this is a game gaming term. Yeah, of um, course. We actually got some feedback there just right now uh, in the live chat as well from Bruna saying that it's the same in Portuguese, uh, that the verbs are conjugated with the Portuguese grammar, but the word itself remains in English, um, same as in Spanish. So thank you very much uh, for your input, Bruna, and thanks for tuning in. Um, I actually don't know if it's the same in gaming in uh, German, so I'm German, right? Um, but I know that the Germans do this in general. I don't know, you know. So I would assume it's the same in the gaming industry, but we, we do this all the time as well with, we take an English uh, word and we just, uh, you know, adapt it to the German grammar, add something so that you can fit it in your sentence without tripping up, right? Um, and so, yeah, I would assume that it's the same as well. It would make sense to me. Exactly. So there are many challenges in, in that respect. Uh, but yeah, so companies like Language.io or Unbabel or others that are trying to deal with this kind of, messy, super messy user-generated content. And at the same time, I think the gaming industry is one of the most prolific in terms of user-generated content, because it's not just the player support, but it's, you know, all the forums, all the conversations in chats, uh, YouTubers, streamers, creating content all the time in different languages. Now we also have eSports, that is, you know, actual sports teams or eSports teams streaming their matches to everybody in in the world um there's so much so much fanfics blogs 
we kiss. I don't know. It's endless. Wow. Yeah. There are <laughs> even good. some some gate games such as Fortnite. I don't know if you know the, this game. I haven't played <laughs> because uh, I'm a bit, yeah, I'm too bad playing games and I don't usually enjoy competitive games like you're playing with other people because I'm just too bad and people would, would be pissed <laughs> off because I'm making them lose. But, uh, but this game, they also have this kind of nice uh, place where you can build your own levels or your own you know, uh, worlds within uh, Fortnite. And th that's just an extreme of user-generated content and how it impacts the industry. But Fortnite sometimes, if, the, if that user-generated level or, you know, world is super popular, they would publish it as part of the game as well. So it's mm -hmm. kind of a crowdsourcing approach to, to the creation of the game. And, and they actually localize uh, the the text that it's inside that user generated or gamer generated level. I think it's quite interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating. So basically, yeah, I understand now a bit better what what the challenge is, right? On the one end, that uh, you have this really really hyper specific jargon, and that it sounds like it's always like ever evolving as well. Like you were saying, you know, they're uh, using references to the latest memes, and of course they change all the time as well, right? Like some might stick around for longer, um, but uh, so that's one challenge or like two challenges in one almost, yeah. right? That there is the specific jargon, and then that it's uh, evolving so quickly, probably also. And uh, then you were also saying that there's so many different sources for this um, type of content, right? So then um, how are companies solving this kind of problem? You were saying, you know, MT, like just regular from Google or something is not enough. So what's the solution? Exactly. That's a very good question. And it really depends on the company. So, for example, there are companies that I wouldn't say because I don't, I, okay, there are companies that have a huge um, investment on, on user experience and they, they, it's super important for them that they would have native language agents for all the languages that they support. And if they cannot provide that, then they don't release the game in that language. Okay. That's the case of, you know, maybe a 10% of, of, of all the gaming <laughs> companies in the world. But there are some companies that care so much about user experience that they wouldn't release a game in a territory if they don't have the whole package covered. Mm -hmm. Then uh, what happens most of the times, unfortunately, is that they offer uh, player support only in one language. Usually that's English, right? Mm -hmm. So according to, to a report that I read, uh, I think it was issued by Keywords Studios, they said that 30%, only 30% of companies offer multilingual player support, while 70% uh -huh. of them, they don't offer uh, multilingual player support. So it's only in one language. That means that uh, usually they don't have the resources or the budget or the technology to be able to provide that service. Yeah, so sorry to cut in here, but um, so to me, that sounds like uh, an opportunity for people who do this kind of stuff well, right? If only 30% of the market has been tapped in terms of multilingual support, then I hear that there are 70% uh, worth probably a lot of money um, if you can provide the right solution, right? Exactly, and that's why our client commissioned this market sizing report <laughs> because they wanted to know exactly if there was a business behind mm -hmm. this specific industry in terms of user-generated uh, con uh, content. And yes, th there are millions of, of, of untapped market there because wow. no one is providing a solution. 
So yeah, and actually everything is in the report that that we shared before. So you and it's uh, it's free. It's not it's uh, public. Like it's not gated. So you can have a look at at the, all the figures there, and and understand what's the yeah what's the market behind this. But definitely like solutions. This type of solutions and integrations with customer support um, platforms like uh, I don't know Zendesk or Salesforce or whatever platform they are using uh, it's yeah it's definitely something that would solve this challenge because then you can just uh, your agents in whatever country you're outsourcing customer support because most people are outsourcing customer support to other countries and then use this machine enhance machine translation solutions specifically tailored for their Okay, so they have uh, machine translation solutions that are specifically trained on this particular jargon for the gaming industry. Exactly. So you, uh, yeah. So there are different solutions, but or either they already are trained, or you have a glossary of terms of your games or of gaming jargon that can be fed easily in a, in one of these solutions, and then it will come up with an output or outcome machine translation output that actually makes sense and it's not right. just a, a mess you know <laughs> and is that then always still um post edited or is it just raw machine translation then you can do whatever you could have post edited but usually it's raw because that's the point right you want to be quick yeah. and you would you want it to be accurate right. so mm -hmm. this the ideal solution is that the quality is so good so good to, en to enable communication at least that you don't need to yeah. have a post-edition. Post right, and I would assume exactly also um, that, you know, in this particular case where it's more about, you know, providing quick support uh, or quick communication, not everything needs to be 100% perfect and machine translation is already like very, very good as we know from other parts of the industry so that if you have this particularly trained one that it should be good enough to enable the communication in a way that it makes sense. Exactly, exactly. Perfect. And um, we just saw there um, briefly in the report uh, the size of the market, I think, right? Um, so can you talk about that a little bit? That, that sounds like a really, really big market. Yes, I mean, wh what we did for this report is first we, we had to look at the, yeah, exactly, at the, at the size of the gaming industry as a whole. So, yeah, that, that's not only for game localization. <laughs> we wish that we had so much money for us in the game, in the localization industry, but no, this is for the gaming industry in general. So it's almost $160 billion, uh, across all countries. And it's growing every year, every single year. If you go to Newso, which is the source of, of this graphic, you will see if you compare, it's always growing. Always, always, always. And yeah, it's about a 9% growth from one year to another. So that's also the, the prediction. And I think that's completely right. And I, and it could be even conservative because now, as we were yeah. discussing the other, the other day with our team, uh, we saw a, a piece of news where Netflix is saying that they are going into the gaming uh, industry as well and they want to create their own games and I think that's the future right I think there will be a point where the entertainment industry like the lines would be super blurry you wouldn't know what's a game what's an interactive experience what's a movie what's a show uh, so I think that's quite excited 
exciting in that sense. I think that we will see a lot of innovation and, you know, experimentation in that sense, like creating new types of entertainment products. Because if you, if you know, we are more and more like bored with the same like type of products <laughs> and we're taking our phone all the time. If even if we're watching, it's sad in, for me because our brain is evolving in a yeah. way that we are never <laughs> coming back to the nineties where everything was so, uh, <laughs> So simple. The other day I watched the Friends reunion and I got super nostalgic on, oh. on those times where we didn't even have a phone, right? Or, you know, WhatsApp or whatever. But yeah. now the truth is that we are evolving and we need more interaction. We need more stimuli uh, so that we are entertained. And I think that's where we are going to be heading in the future. And I think it's a, it's very interesting that Netflix is doing this um, stunt and going into games. Amazon also did the same a while ago. They started their own gaming studio. So, I mean, if the big companies are doing this, even Apple recently, they also, a couple of years ago, they launched their own uh, gaming plat subscription gaming platform. So, you know, all the big companies are doing, mm -hmm. are going into games. And I think that's, uh, what's going to be in the future and also with the streaming model, right? The streaming model yeah. has uh, like proof that it works for music yeah. with Spotify, for video content with YouTube, with Netflix, HBO, Amazon Prime, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, Disney Plus. I don't even know which new platforms are out there. But, <laughs> you know, streaming is the future as well. We are here in streaming too no it's not the yeah, same type of streaming live streaming yeah but you know that's where i think we're heading also with games and mm -hmm. actually there were a couple of projects i mean they are out there already like google stadia or microsoft uh, x cloud project i think that's the name uh steam also went into cloud gaming i think the adoption is still low because the like internet connections are not powerful enough yet in our like in general, maybe in Japan, I don't know, or in South Korea, but in the rest of yeah. the world, the internet connection is not great. So um, maybe once, 5G exactly. Is, yeah. Once we have the 5G, maybe this type of technology will be more adopted. Yeah, and um, yeah, I think that like you already said, I, I feel like it's a big uh, indicator, a big sign when these like big, very, very successful companies like Netflix, like Apple, when they are um, going into that kind of market, they must clearly see a lot of opportunity, a lot of potential there as well. And um, then, of course, and we hadn't even talked about this yet, but with um, COVID, from, from what I know, I think uh, from other conversations that we've had is that this also boosted the um, growth in gaming again, uh, because of course everyone was at home and bored. So, you know, more time for gaming, <laughs> I guess. Right? Um, and we have a comment there. Oh, it's just gone now, but uh, there was a comment from Tucker saying, oh, yeah. there we go, thank you. Um, I hear that there's more money in the gaming industry than in Hollywood, uh, though I haven't researched this. Do you think games will continue to encroach on movies? Yes, definitely. I think um, I think games are already beating Hollywood for sure. I'm not sure about broadcast uh, because there's still a big industry there. But you know, uh, it's there's more money in in gaming than I would say streaming platforms for now, and because they they are keeping up. Uh, you know, the, the gaming has been there for long compared to streaming platforms. I yeah. still think that broadcast and 
but movies after COVID, to be honest, like going to the cinema, unfortunately, another thing that I feel really nostalgic about. I mean, most companies are, are premiering their, their movies on streaming already. I keep Disney and HBO and all that. So I don't know what the, the future of the cinema will be. I think it will, you know, come to an end. Uh, we will have only very few little theaters to go to to see the movies unfortunately and and the the gaming and the more interactive platforms will will grow and grow like mm-hmm. streaming and and games will definitely beat and even tv right because now i don't watch tv yeah. for example i don't watch tv either um i don't have like i, I could actually here now uh, in germany i could access tv channels i'm paying for tv channels because everyone yeah. Uh, just as soon as you have a computer you have to pay um like the public fee for that but i still even though i could i i don't i just have streaming platforms different ones at this stage so um because it's just just more value for me and you know it's the convenience of it it's a better program so i think most of my friends i don't know if any of them still watch tv or maybe have channels but anyone you talk to they're just using streaming platforms maybe i don't know i hope cinemas don't go away but i can totally see your point because i also like going to the cinema but i even before the pandemic i went less now because yeah i don't know maybe we'll eventually have some kind of more novelty viewings you know like um, (laughs) every now and again oh they're showing a movie i don't know outside somewhere or something you know who knows yeah i mean they tried to innovate with 3d but it wasn't yeah, super great because you know, gave headaches and stuff. <laughs> so I, I'm not completely sure. Maybe virtual reality is another market that I mean, it, it's yeah. not adopted yet because yeah, the hardware is still a bit heavy and you know people are and even a bit expensive. Uh, so that people won't invest in that because yeah, what are they going to to do? Just watch. Uh, videos and play a couple of games there but um but yeah i think all this technology will be evolving in the in the next uh years and definitely localization it's super crucial really uh, specifically in the gaming industry in in the research that we did we found out that uh international sales so that that means uh sales coming from the countries that are not uh, on the native language of of the product <clears throat> they represent an average of 45% for gaming companies. So they are making half, almost half of their revenues are coming from countries where they need to localize into if they mm-hmm. want to, to sell their games. So I think that's super relevant. And yeah, and that's why I think it's, it's, very, it's a very attractive um, sector or, or vertical for, for the localization industry in, in general. At the same time, it's a very complex one, I would say. It's a very complex vertical because it requires hyper specialization. And most gaming companies, they prefer to work with re- really like professional studios and companies uh, mm-hmm. that their main, you know, service is uh, game localization rather than offering 20 different things, right? Uh, so, um, I think that's really important. And another thing that, that I've been discussing with some uh, localization directors at, localiza- uh, sorry, at gaming companies is that sometimes they are 
wondering if they should expand their um, like vendors into the media localization side of things. So working with IUNOS, SDIs, Deluxes, and so on and so forth for gaming uh, industry. But the truth is that the workflows and the way they work is so different that, I mean, the way, even the way they quote, it's completely different for dubbing. Subtitling has nothing to do in games and, and, and in media localization, traditional media. So at the end of the day, they realize that, that they cannot work with this type of companies. They need actual uh, game localization specialists, such as, of course, mm -hmm. keywords studios. That's why they are yeah. doing so great, <laughs> apart from because they, they are acquiring many companies that have uh, lots of talent and expertise. They, they, they are great because they are hyper specializing in game, no, not now only in game localization, but they are, they package their services in a very wise way so that they could sell to, to gaming industries. And this is something that we talked about in, in the NIMSI 100, right, Sarah? Yeah. How LSPs should innovate or think outside the box so that they package the service, the services that they offer in a way that are relevant to their clients, right? And mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be only translation. It can be so many things. Look at keywords, for example, localization, yeah. player support, design, even game development already. So I think that's something yeah. that's, that makes a big difference. Yeah, I think this is something, and uh, I mean, I'm, we're all kind of the experts in the language industry, but um, I think even if you look at our, our own lives, our own experiences as uh, consumers and users as well, uh, it's heading that direction anyway, right? Somewhat like um, you want any, anything to be easy to use and you want it kind of quick, you know, it should be as effortless as possible. I think effortless is kind of becoming a theme these days as well. Everything needs to be effortless. Um, and kind of rightfully so in the sense that, you know, there's an abundance of most things these days, especially with the internet and everyone having global reach. Um, so that if you want to really, I guess, stand out or a customer to pick you, you know, then you need to adapt to the, the client's needs, the end user's needs, you know, so that they can need to be, of course, visible, um, you know, taking different angles here now, but, uh, and then, yeah, make it easy to use. You know, and then that case, like coming back to what you said, you know, adapt uh, to your client or package something that is easy for them and convenient and provides or solves lots of their problems ideally at once, right? So, and that's a big Thank challenge. You. Yeah, definitely. And and I think one of the particularities of the gaming industry is that they like to outsource so much. I mean, I think that's the truth for many industries in general. Mm -hmm. Of course, when it comes to to localization, but I think gaming industry, they really need to outsource a big chunk of their work because creating a game is so like difficult and complex and time consuming that having a partner and that's, uh, we had a, um, we had a conversation with Riot Games recently for a lessons in localization that I think was already published. And yes. I loved uh, what, what uh, they said about, they are looking for, partnerships rather than vendorships, right? So they don't just want like a vendor that uh, provides, yeah, translations or whatever they ask for, but they would like to have a partner from whom also learn, right? Because, I mean, because they are an enterprise doesn't mean that they know everything and having someone that can teach them new things and inspire them to become better 
I think that's also quite nice, right? So yeah, I think yeah, the, also. yeah, the gaming industry in general might be more open to these kind of things, to these kind of partnerships. And I think the reason is because user experience is so important in 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 a game that mm -hmm. localization is taken to a to another level, right? Because I mean, yeah. it depends on what you do. The, what you do in, in, in other territories, like the engagement of your, of your users depends on that. And <clears throat> nowadays we have more and more games that are continuously updated, right? It's not yeah. like it was before that you release a game and that's it. Uh, beginning, that ends, <laughs> goodbye, right? No, yeah. now we have all these games, competitive games or mobile games that are releasing new features and new levels and new stuff mm -hmm. all the time, all the time to keep the engagement go, um, high with their with their players and with their consumers. And I think that's where localization is even more important, continuous localization. That's yeah. what I'm saying, like working with a gaming company is so complex because the workflows for a gaming company are extremely um, complex because apart from not only having like all the technical difficulties of localizing uh, software because it mm -hmm. has the interfaces and the text and the variables and so on and so forth. You have also the complexity of having dubbing because you need to know how to dub and you need to right. have a you know, proper yeah. understanding of each market. Uh, you also need to have uh, a way to be quick and, and provide um, a solution for continuous localization. You need to know about culturalization and, you know, adaptation because games are super personal and, you know, you want to, and are very in, uh, immersive as well, more than any other product, in my opinion, because you actually are in the skin of another person or character. Right, yeah. And the, the relationship that you create with that, the bond that you create with that product is higher than the bond that you create with a banking app again. I'm sorry about yeah. that. <laughs> Don't be pissed at me if you work in the banking industry, but you know, it's not it's the same type of, you know, user experience and it's not the same requirements. So yeah. I think that's why it's so complex, this industry, but at the same time, super fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, sounds like it. I mean, I had, I think, some idea, but nearly not nearly enough about all the complexity there. And so, yeah, it makes sense um, that you, you would need to be really highly specialized to be successful in this area. And so actually, I'm circling back around to the whole Netflix thing. Um, how do you think that's going to influence the market? Or do you, do you think it will make any difference? Will it just, um, you know, be more content? Do you expect that to be any significant um, change? Because like when we looked at the media localization space, uh, or you look at it all the time, but when I did it also for the, the NIMSI 100, um, remember back then there was a bit of a talk of, you know, in the beginning you had um, some uh, producers and then you had distributors and then now the lines have become completely blurred. Basically, initially the distributors became producers and now the producers are becoming distributors as well. Um, mm -hmm. Could you see something like, like this also happening or does that relate or I don't know, what's your expectation? I, I, I know this might just be based on judgment or, you know, whatever your vision might be, but <laughs> what do you expect as an expert in this field, you know, for this to have an influence? Like? Yes, that's a very good question, actually. And I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to think about the mergers in the gaming industry because, you know, like 
Yeah, it's true that we had new... <clears throat> so I'm, I'm trying to think if the centralization that we've seen in the media industry is the same in the gaming industry. I'm not 100% sure, but it is true that there have been also big acquisitions years ago, no, nothing new or or that it's been recent, but for example, Activision bought Blizzard games and also bought King, the Candy Crush makers. Then the, the giant Tencent, the Chinese uh, game company develop, de developers, they also bought Riot Games. Then, you know, th there's also been some <clears throat> sort of trying to centralize in, in, in that sense, although I, I wouldn't see it exactly as in the media industry. And as in terms of uh, distributors and creators being the same, <clears throat> I don't see that for now. In the gaming industry, I don't see the same trend as, uh, like, for example, Sony, uh, PlayStation creating their own games, and that's it. And because they they have, of course, they acquired a few studios that belong to Sony, but mm -hmm. it's not like the same brand. Like Netflix is creating Netflix original shows, right? Yeah. That's what I'm. <clears throat> that's what we're referring to. So exactly. I don't see the same the same exact trend. But now that you mentioned it. Yeah, it could happen that um, if Netflix or Amazon starts uh, going into this space, they would like to to create their own games. At the same time, it's not the same creating a TV show. Of course, you know, the budgets are also huge for movies and TV shows, of course. But the complexity of creating a game, I don't know how they are going to do it. Like, I don't know if Netflix can just hire a huge team so that they start creating their own games or if they will need to start um, acquiring gaming studios or, mm -hmm. you know, relying on third parties and publishing games that are created yeah. by others. I, I'm wondering how that's going to work. I guess my bet is that they would like to create their own content to... Mm -hmm. really be a differentiator because otherwise they are you know competing with steam or with mm -hmm. other <clears throat> gaming catalog subscription um companies so my bet is that they would like to create their own content but yeah i don't know how they are going to do it <laughs> yeah it'd be interesting to watch because like you said it's this is not the area of expertise and it's not the same as creating okay. uh, movies or tv shows and it's all the entertainment but it's not the same so it'd be interesting to see how how they solve this problem and if they can be competitive enough. I mean, my gut instinct, but knowing not enough about the industry at all would be, well, they're Netflix, they are very successful. So probably they will find a way to be successful at the same time. Like you said, it's a very different industry and they are probably in completely new waters there as well. So I have to see if that has a big impact or, or not. Or, exactly. Yeah. What I think is the most important takeaway about this expansion and growing industry is that um, I think having more players and coming from different industries will bring more like innovation also in the sense of having games for everybody, right? Because mm -hmm. um, the one thing that I don't like so much about the gaming industry is that sometimes it's a bit toxic or it has this toxic masculinity sometimes that the games have to be super difficult and you know and if you are not good at it it's because you're an idiot and you are not good enough to play games and things like that you know and playing the sims or playing candy crush or playing kitchen games is for little girls right <laughs> or something like that. I, I, I know this is a stupid but I have this vibe of you know 
toxic mm -hmm. masculinity in the gaming industry and i would like to see new players creating games for the bigger audiences because yeah you can create yeah. a super difficult super complex super whatever game but you know the market size is like this while if you create a mobile game like like a candy crush or something like that like the pie is much bigger so why are you going to invest in creating this super difficult game that only you know this little uh, amount of people will play when you can create more inclusive and and better game gaming experience for everybody i'm not saying they sh they should stop creating this these specific no, no. games but you know let let's expand the can... horizon another thing that is interesting in the news report is that i think like 45% of the revenues comes uh, from the mobile gaming not from the console or pc gaming mm -hmm. so most of the money is coming from the mobile gaming <laughs> and mobile gaming of course there are complex games but most of the time are more like casual gamings uh, ca casual games for casual gamers and that that's mm -hmm. where the money is so if i would be netflix i would invest in 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 games that are more aimed at the you know mainstream audience rather than trying to you know compete in creating something too complex that no one is going to really enjoy yeah and <laughs> i think you make an excellent point right it's not about not supplying that side anymore. I mean, it's successful. People want it. There's dedicated uh, fans there, right? So you want to keep supplying that as well and developing them. But at the same time, not supplying all the other potential users would kind of be stupid because, like you said, there's a lot of uh, untapped uh, users, potential users, anyone with a mobile phone these days, right? Or like I can relate a little bit in the sense that like I'm not interested in playing games. You know, I my um. I had very limited experience, like way back when I was younger, because one of my uh, my boyfriend at the time he was uh, playing some games, and so I tried it a little bit, and it was okay. I had some fun, but <laughs> it didn't appeal to me as much, you know. Um, same as I, I'm not a Candy Crush player, but I think in general, um, maybe if someone would create more diverse con like types of games, maybe I would get interested, you know, because why not? There's always moments like, and like you said. Um, if it's on your mobile phone, you know, you're stuck somewhere in a queue or waiting at the doctor's office and you're sick of watching, looking at more social media crap, you know, <laughs> maybe yeah. you play a game instead, you know, and I, yeah, I definitely would if I feel like there would be uh, interesting games for, for me as well, you know. Yeah, definitely. And if you think about the latest global phenomenon in, in, phenomena in terms of gaming, it was Pokemon Go which was a super simple game mm -hmm. based on our <clears throat> augmented reality technology where you would go outside on the street and, you know, catch in <laughs> Pokemon <laughs> that would appear magically in different areas, uh, which was a, a brilliant idea. I don't know who, who yeah. did it, but kudos to you. They actually, Nintendo... Um, Nintendo went up like uh, everybody wanted to invest and it was amazing and this and I think the latest one was um, I, I forgot the name uh, yeah Animal Crossing I, I didn't play it because I don't have the the Nintendo Switch or the Nintendo DS but Animal Crossing went crazy like a global phenomenon during the pandemic as well because you could actually live your life in the game and many people yeah. spend so many hours playing Animal Crossing so at the end, of course, there are other games that are a global phenomenon, such as Fortnite, which are more competitive uh, and more aimed at the hardcore gamers or League of Legends, all the new games by, by Riot Games, Valorant and Apex as well, which is not from Riot Games, it's Electronic Arts, but, you know, 
Overwatch by Blizzard. So the, there are still these competitive games that are a global phenomenon. But I would say that the ones that made it to the mainstream media is the Pokemon Go's and the Animal <laughs> Crossing's, right? So that's yeah, also yeah. food for thought. Yeah, absolutely. I like what you said about basically not being so... I don't know if I can call it elitist or something, or you were talking about um, toxic masculinity, because <laughs> there, there is a little bit of that. I think also thinking of my own little experience uh, with gaming, where I feel like, yeah, maybe I don't belong here, you know? And so, and at the same time, yeah, why, you know, appeal to that side, sure, but don't leave your, like, you know, don't leave out the rest, you know? I mean, you can, but it'd be stupid. There's probably lots of money to be made there as well. And, you know, why not? So. I think this is um, this is a good way uh, to finish up. Actually, I am so I feel personally like I have a much better understanding of what game localization entails, why it is so complex, and what are ways to um, to solve these complexities, and how the market is uh, developing. And you know, we made some predictions of how it might develop. Um, yeah, thank you so much uh, for being on the show today, Belen. <laughs> that was really insightful. And um, to all the viewers and listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in again. And we'll see you again next week on Monday. Thank you. Bye.